As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks Inc. Classic Factory, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Whether you're joining us live in the Slipstream team here on YouTube or listening to the podcast later, thank you very much. I'm your host, Trey Kirby, and I'm joined today by our local F1 expert and a man who had zero intro-worthy tweets this past week, Graydon Gordia. <laughs> wow, you're just, you're, I just... Sorry, you think man. I had a weak Sorry. week. I had a, I, I had a, I, I had a bad week on, on Twitter.com. On the I mean, you had a fair Twitter. week, but we've talked about the Brentford Bees quite a bit, and I feel like you know they're in the swing of their season right so, now. So we're seeing a lot of Bees tweets from. He him. didn't. So you're saying you didn't see my Bees because they did, did. They did have a, a rousing comeback yesterday. Oh, there we go. There, there we go. go. They did have bees. a rousing comeback <laughs> victory from the Bees. Well, uh, t- t- tied. They came back to tie. Because it's soccer. <laughs> it's that's, soccer. Like a, that's like a victory sometimes <laughs> yeah, in soccer. Sometimes it's like a victory. If you can snatch a tie from the jaws of defeat, you're doing I'm calling all right. it a W. Calling it a yeah, w, that's B's style. B's uh, win 1-1. Yeah, I guess we could just call this the B's update portion of No Bricks. <laughs> Anyways, we've also got our team principal on the pit wall here making the right calls. JD, JD, what's hello, up? Hello, hello. My yeah, apologies a- for yesterday, guys. Oh, no big deal. Oh, no worries. Yeah, it worked out nice. Uh, we had a, more time to pull some photos of some incredible looking corners. <laughs> yeah, we're just going left. We're going right. We're going all over the place. Mostly left and right. Yeah, but. it's, uh, it's going to be nice to actually have a race to talk about. It's been Ooh. a while. Yeah, um, I forgot what that was like. Did our Driven podcast in between. Talked to J.R. Hildebrand. Both a couple of classics right there. Uh, but we're going to be talking about actual race car driving this time because the Belgian Grand Prix was over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Of course, I don't really care about practice for the most part, but we will talk about qualification. Kind of a weird one because so many drivers ended up taking grid penalties. I think the final number was seven, though I did hear eight uh, at one point. I don't know. Seven or eight drivers took grid penalties, including your championship leaders, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc. Is this a common thing after summer break, Graydon, for different teams to be taking this many grid penalties? Because, I mean, it it makes for a weird qualification when you know the final grid after Q3 doesn't really matter. I think that... 
to see so many people take it at once was a little odd, but it probably was a. I think it had less to do with the summer break, although certainly probably people bringing upgrades, bringing advancements. There's a lot of work that's gone in at that moment. I think the other thing was there was an anticipation that DRS would be very powerful coming on uh, to the Kimmel straight and that there would be a lot of chances for overtaking. So for especially for top cars, they were unintimidated at the prospect of just taking a taking an engine because they're like we can get back up the grid. just a good place to take it <laughs> we can we can get back up the grid we can do this here um especially if you're dealing you know if, if if you feel like you've got the pure pace this is a course that kind of honors that so it's like might as well take it i saw on twitter when i was looking at your lame <clears throat> tweets from this past week that yeah. you didn't you weren't able to watch qualification live i'm sure you went back and checked it out did anything actually stick out to you other than I had to fast forward through the very lengthy part at the beginning of the broadcast where they're like repairing the like yeah. I like started it and I was like wait when did we get to like the part where they're like <laughs> Are racing? We racing here yeah I mean no nothing jumped the one thing that jumped out at me was that the Ferrari just uh, in in our kind of weekly annals of kind of uh, hating on Ferrari sure. what jumped out at me was how much they flubbed Q three. Which was they? Uh, Carlos Sainz ended up starting in kind of you know starting first on the grid, mm-hmm. anyways. But their attempts to get Leclerc to give him the toe down the main straight were went wrong in a variety of ways. A, they accidentally put new tires on Leclerc's car, <laughs> so then he got so then he ended up having to run his quali lap, and when he didn't want to on poorly prepared tires. So he ended up having not a great quality lap, basically ensuring he would start start behind Max. And then two, he uh, when they actually got the toe working, uh, Carlos totally flubbed it. Had like a terrible, <laughs> had like an absolute t- where he like put it in the gravel at one point. He, the, yeah. he, the, he even he didn't even have his best time in the sector where they were giving him the toe. So they really, I think, had whereas. It seemed like Red Bull wasn't really messing around with that. They just were racing. And, mm-hmm. you know, Ferrari's attempt to get cute with it, absolutely. It didn't blow up in their face, per se. Is it just, like, flubbed? It just was like, yeah, it's just uh, a, weak, a weak attempt at this. Kind of just another chapter in the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just was like a weak attempt. <laughs> of the season. But like you're saying, uh, Carlos Sainz did start on pole. He finished second in the qualifying session behind Max Verstappen, but... With Verstappen taking an engine penalty, he dropped down to 14th, I think is where he ended up starting. So Sainz is on pole. Other interesting notes, Alex Albon made it to Q3 for the first time this season. Looks great. One guy who didn't, though, Valtteri Bottas, who was out after Q1, after 148 times making it to at least Q2. Uh, that's quite a streak for that the is, man. I was. I remember them saying that, and I was surprised at that i wouldn't have told i would have just presumed at some point along the way or even this season i wouldn't have said oh he's assuredly made it out of every q1 the alpha has mostly but i I would i don't know so hey that's great run feltry (laughs) well you know it was his birthday weekend and as it turned out he had a lot of time to celebrate uh when all was said and done with his race weekend but like we're saying, the grid was all mixed up with all of these top cars taking uh, grid penalties for the start. So it looked like it was going to be a pretty exciting race with Verstappen uh, starting pretty low on the grid. Leclerc, Norris, those kind of guys at the back. When you see the fast cars at the back, you're thinking this is going to be an exciting race. 100%. 
not quite great mm. not not a, it wasn't a like a, a hamilton-esque charged from the back kind of excitement in this one uh, it was better than last year's song. it was way better than last year's <laughs> 10 times as long 10 times <laughs> as long. yeah it was much better from that but uh let's take a look at the results uh from spa here's our top 10 as it went down max verstappen there you see on top of the podium finished p1 after starting P14, he's followed by Sergio Perez there in P2, who started P2. Signs dropped from the pole position, finished third. He's followed by George Russell in the Mercedes at P4, keeping up his streak of finishing in the top fives. Fernando Alonso finished fifth. Leclerc ended up finishing in sixth, and we'll get to why he finished sixth and not fifth in just a little bit. Nice uh, run for Esteban Ocon. He finished seventh, followed by Vettel, Gasly, and Albon, picking up a point for Williams there. Final point score in tenth. I guess let's start at the top. Max Verstappen deserves some of his flowers here, so let's talk about his race. He started 14th. He was back to P1 by lap 12, Graydon. Yeah, that was I mean, insane, it, it, man. It, honestly, a master class. Even that was a little bit, I think, in their most optimistic kind of breakdowns of how they could get to the... They went into that race thinking we can win this sure. race. 100% they thought that. I would I would be surprised if even Horner or Max had thought, oh, well, by lap 12, we'll be back at the front. They did have a bunch of things go their way, mm-hmm. which included multiple cars starting from the pit lane, meaning they were not even as far up at... I mean, they were even further up than their starting grid spot suggested, right. as well as an early safety car, which meant that the group rebunched up. And after gaining a bunch of places, they were then right back, just a few seconds behind the leaders, even though there was maybe half a dozen cars in between them. So they got a few things cut their way, a few lucky breaks, although by no means was his win lucky. Like, he he was he, it yeah, was he dominated. dominated. Yeah. They, they got, I think, they got a little lucky getting in first so quickly it's not yes. that they, they would have inevitably gotten there either way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like I, to me, it's like at Silverstone last year, Hamilton is starting way back in the grid, and he ends up barely winning the race, right? Right, right, right. Verstappen won this ahead of Sergio Perez by 20 seconds. Yeah, I mean, he spanks. Sergio Perez starts second on the grid, and Max beats him by 20 seconds. He beats him by a full pit stop. And it was like by um, lap 20, the, ra- cl- the race was over. It was like Verstappen's going to win this. It's just a matter of by how much. It is one of those. Listen, any given week we can debate who the best driver on the grid is or what's the tiers or things like that. But at the end of the day, simply put, like Max is in a class of his own, at least this past Sunday. Right. There's just nobody out there that was driving anywhere near that level. Um, part of that was the car. And the Red Bull ended up being so well optimized for the the conditions out there. It was it, honestly the, it, meaningfully better. In particular, you know, that with there had been some regulatory changes, a technical directive affecting the ride height. Everybody had to bring the ride height up a little bit. I think that is affecting many of the other cars more negatively than it's affecting the Red Bull. But also the way they've. The, the nature of their chassis, you experience lots of compression as you head up a Rouge. And that was, they just were maintaining speed there better, coming out of Radion with way more speed heading into the, the big straight there. It just was, they just, it, it, it just, their, Max was locked in, so confident, never made a mistake. The car was locked in, so perfectly tailored for the weekend. 
on top of that, they got a couple lucky breaks go their way. It's like it couldn't have had more things go right yeah. for Red Bull. Like I, even a well placed visor tear off from oh Max my god, I mean, went well for Red Bull. Totally, it was that itself is like the level of luck versus unluck that you know lack of luck that Ferrari's stumbling into here. The, the <laughs> yeah. ways in which they're getting unlucky or messing this up are it's an. They're coming up with new things every week. It's incredible. Yeah, this ended up being um, the best come-from-behind victory of Max Verstappen's career. Went from 14th to 1st in Belgium. This is after he went from 10th to 1st in Hungary. Seems like a forever ago that that race went down. But I guess it's the first time that a driver has gone from P10 to go on to win in back-to-back races since Bruce McLaren in 1959 and 1960. You think we'll be seeing a team called... Verstappen Automobiles <laughs> 60 years from now? You know, maybe. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe. Who yeah, knows? We'll have to see how the, you know. I guess we'll see how uh, the rest of the season goes. But Verstappen's going to win the championship here. And I think we might end up looking back on 2022 and saying, this was just as dominant as any of Lewis Hamilton's most dominant championships in Mercedes. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a pretty, pretty dominant win. You know, certainly there. Th- this one, it felt like we've, you know, it was the a true nail in the coffin. I know yeah. we've, there have been so many moments where it seemed like it was over, but then for the briefest of things, like the door cracks open, you think, okay, I can imagine a scenario where it's still competitive. It's like, this was such a dominant victory. They look so good. Max is so locked in, so confident. Meanwhile, anybody out, you know, Sergio had talked a big game about not being out of the fight for it. He started in P two. He ended twenty seconds behind Max. It's Crazy. they're they're nowhere close to each other in terms of what they're doing out there on the course. Ferrari looks lost. Leclerc looks super demoralized. Even if you had, I mean, I don't even believe that they could pull it off. Even if Leclerc, the Ferrari was super locked in and Leclerc looked great, but neither of those things are true. <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah, know, exactly like right. so, like yeah. Post race, yeah. even he was like. Yeah, he's championship seen, hopes are getting pretty tough. Pretty, yeah, point. totally. There's eight races left, which is his probably first time acknowledging winning. that all season. You know, he's yeah. he's been very insistent that he's fighting for a championship, and I think this is the you know this is the one that tipped the scales there. Yeah, well, let's talk about what happened with uh, Leclerc and Ferrari. I guess the long story of it is Leclerc started P15. Made his way up to P9, but then he got a visor tear-off. I think it's been kind of officially decided. It yeah. was a Max Verstappen visor tear-off, though. And I guess they're all on the <laughs> just on the tarmac there I that get, they yeah, can run over. I guess, and it got it, it got stuck on his brake, stuck into his brake. I definitely thought that was a weird one. You don't see that every day. It's definitely very unlucky. Yeah. Um, I So I was pretty surprised at that, but it, that is very unlucky because I, unlucky. I, do think, I do think that Leclerc probably is he is in the hunt for a podium if he can just stay bunched up there can stay behind Max I don't think he would have like competed with Max I I just genuinely don't I think the Red Bull was a meaningfully better car but he I think up until that point was probably looking stronger and in more control than Sainz was and Mm -hmm. maybe at some point catches up and overtakes him or there's some team orders or something. But I think he's in the hunt for a podium. But, you know, at that point, I think it's blown. I mean, they even acknowledged yeah. it on the radio, right? They were like, we're looking at P5. Yeah, exactly. You right. know, they're, they're, they've they stopped. At some point, they stopped considering a higher finish than that. 
that kind of thing could happen to anybody. It's not dissimilar to what happened to Verstappen when he got a piece of like an Alpha Tauri underneath yeah. his, his floor. What did happen to Leclerc that was self-inflicted, though, was later on in the race, Leclerc has clawed back to P5, but Ferrari decides to pit him on the second-to-last lap of the race. He's got a little bit of space to go into the pits and come out ahead of Fernando Alonso in P6, which he does, comes out right ahead of Alonso. Alonso overtakes him basically right away. Leclerc, to his credit, does get back into P5 once his tires warm up. But as it turns out, he was one kilometer per hour too fast in the pit lane, which means he got a five-second time penalty, which drops him to P6 in the final standings. So there are – I hated this call. I hated this. <laughs> I was – as you mentioned, I wasn't watching the race in real time. I was watching – it was pretty late on Sunday night by the time I actually saw this occurring. And I was flabbergasted that they did this on so many levels. First of all, the idea that they actually had the pit window is is hardly cut and dry. He was like 19 and a half seconds ahead of Alonso, and it's a 19-second pit delay if you nail it. You got to smash so, it. Yeah, so it's like – so at the end of the day, you've, you've actually left tons to chance. Tons of people had longer pits than that during the day. Ferrari has had plenty where they don't have a sub-three-second pit stop, and – with only one lap to go, if you, despite the power of the DRS there, if you come out a second and a half behind him, that may not be enough time yeah. to actually catch back up and overtake him in just one lap. So, A, you've definitely risked it in that regard. You've thrown lots of things to chance here. The pit lane speed monitor thing apparently was actually another byproduct of the visor issue mm-hmm. that it had damaged the sensor associated with it so that again is very unlucky and i don't think something you can really blame Charles for but is just another example of the fact that you have introduced a bunch of unknowns into the situation at a really critical moment all for one point. One single One point. point in the championship, which I just think is not worth it at this stage. The most peculiar thing about all of this is, is that, A, if you go back and listen to the radio call, Charles is surprised at the suggestion yeah. and doesn't want to do it appropriately. And they, I guess they get him to do it. But two, this is so out of character for Ferrari. They are so strategically conservative, so indecisive, so risk intolerant at so many times there's times where Charles has been 30 seconds in the lead and he wanted to pit for the fastest lap and they were like no don't do that we don't need to do that and yet here they're trying to like thread it through the eye of a needle to get one more point I thought that was so out of character I thought it was insane I was shocked that they did it and I was not at all shocked that it blew up. In face. <laughs> like I, like I, yeah, such a risky move for one point. For one point, when like all you had to do was finish fifth, just, just finish fifth, and you're getting more points than finishing sixth. This to me was, this was peak Ferrari because I was like, this is so off brand. It's so unexpected. It's so dumb. It's so self defeating. <laughs> How every single week are you coming up with new ways of undermining your drivers? Like you're just you're imagining. Totally new ways of making their race complicated yeah. that have that nobody's ever even considered. I nobody forty two laps into that race thought Ferrari was going to pit again. Yeah, not a single person watching. Strange. Not a single other person in any paddock 
Nobody thought that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I don't... Alonzo thought so, too. Alonzo was like... Yeah. I was very surprised when they did that. <laughs> I, and, and he should be. It just yeah. must seem like such a risky move uh, for basically no benefit at all, you know? Uh, that was the crazy thing to me. What did you uh, make of the messages that you were hearing from the Ferrari pit wall to LeClaire where they're basically asking him what he wants to do as if he has any idea what's going okay. on time-wise? I think... Okay, I am – what I'm about to say is – point I'm going to make a little subtle here, but I don't mind checking in with a driver on his strategy. You actually see Mercedes do this a lot. Yeah. In my opinion, with Hamilton, they say, you like, check how, we want, how are the tires doing, want to come in, won't, don't want to come in. If you have trust in your driver, I think you can put some agency in their hands. It's the tone in which they do it that drives me batty. This sort of like <laughs> considering like coming in for tires or staying out question. How they end every question with the word question uh, drives me insane. <laughs> drives me insane. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that? It drives me insane. Well, it's like, I will not be able to not notice no, it. No, it's, it's, it's like a tick. If somebody did that to me, I would be I would just want to wring their neck. I would be like, you got to be kidding me. Stop that. Like, so I it, it's it's the it, so it, I don't think it's bad to check in with him. They just do so in this incredibly stilted, awkward way. It seems as if they do so in a low context way mm. where they're not really like weighing the pros and cons of it or they haven't given it. I know we're only getting snapshots of their conversation yeah. and we don't see everything, but it just doesn't – it It feels to me like, like when you see the way – uh, Mercedes and Hamilton interact. They just have such a more natural flow mm -hmm. around their conversations and the debates they're having are so much more, they're, they come to resolution more quickly. They have so much more faith in Hamilton, you know, things like that. And you just feel the indecision and the tension inside yeah. the Ferrari paddock in these in these radio communiques. Yeah, and I mean, at this point, people are looking for anything with Ferrari. So like, remember there was... In Hungary, they were talking to signs as he was pulling an overtake, and people were like, what are you doing? The guy's trying to drive out here. This was not dissimilar, but a little bit of piling on where it's like every yeah. decision Ferrari makes is going to be under quite a bit of scrutiny, but totally. it, does sound, it sounds bad when Leclerc's like, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, you know? it, it, it's one of these things where it's like you're – if you've – if they were like in the lead for the championship or something and mm -hmm. they did that, we wouldn't be talking about this right. right now. It wouldn't even be a talking point, right? But I do think it's because they show such indecision and they struggle to make clear strategic decisions. The idea that they're somehow now putting that back on the driver again feels like they're just – yeah, yeah, they're just – they're finding another person to try to blame it on or trying to – I don't know. It I just – It wasn't perfect. It wasn't um, perfect. Does the driver choose the engineer? Does the driver choose who they're talking to? I don't think so. No, not – I mean, sometimes you see engineers come with drivers or move around yeah. throughout their careers. They'll have very strong relationships. But I don't think Charles or Carlos has, like, chosen their engineer per se. Maybe they should. Maybe I mean, that's I, something that will change. Because I think the communication probably... is just not great. The decision-making is not great. We've talked about, like – Will Bonato be replaced at some point? Who knows? But it definitely feels like there could be improvements to be made on the pit wall for Ferrari. Yeah, for One sure. podium in the last nine races for Leclerc. That's crazy to me, that stat, that he's only finished on the podium once in the and last nine races. And that's probably a races. win, right? It's probably yeah. a win in Austria. Yeah. That's insane because, because at the end of the day, in oh, I bet you in eight of those nine races, he's at worst the second fastest car on the yeah. grid. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, right. I, you exactly know, he's right. probably right. You know, he's he's a worst. And some of those races, he's the fastest car on the grid. So <sighs> their ability to undermine themselves. So this is a, it's a an epic level underperformance. That's the only thing that I'll say about Max and how dominant he's been is Max is dominant and Max looks great and this is he's very deserving of the championship. In no way am I trying to take away anything from this masterclass he has put together over the course of the season, but this is also elite level failure on the part of Ferrari to capitalize on their own potential. Yeah, they're definitely, you know, I I think it's just because we all remember the first third of the season when it seemed so close, but it ain't been close uh, for quite some time. Uh, The other interesting thing that happened at Spa happened on lap one when Lewis Hamilton crashed out after a sloppy overtake on Fernando Alonso. I think it was Hamilton's rear wheel went over Alonso's front wheel And, like, the way they were both turning sent Hamilton's car flying in the air, slammed down hard on the tarmac, damaged his floor. He immediately went into Charlie Brown mode. He was dejected during his interviews, saying it was my fault. There was this hilarious shot of him going down the road feeling bad. Where was anybody else? Because this, like, even this shot of Hamilton was minutes after he'd actually been out of the car, like, they could have gotten around to get him at some point. He cla- he crashed on lap one. This shot was during lap six. That was right. Wild, it's man. like uh, no, I don't really get what's going on here. I mean, he's walking back. I get, <laughs> I get, I get. This is a really it's the longest track of yeah. the year, so you're potentially like you know a mile and a half or two miles away from the paddock or something like that. You're potentially far away, but they have like motorcycles. They have like little trucks. They have ways of going and getting sure. people. I gotta presume he didn't walk all the way back. Yeah, you would have to think so. There's also <laughs> there was also the shot of him like putting out the fire on his car. Oh uh, yeah, the yeah, fire yeah, extinguisher. Yeah. So I was a little bit like, he's got to be playing up a little bit here, you know, with like the walk back. Like, surely if Lewis Hamilton wants a ride back to the paddock, they could get him one pretty quickly. But that was that was funny. Uh, Hamilton did say it was his fault, and pretty much everybody agrees. Yeah, no, for sure. He he just. Totally closed the door on Alonzo, even though, you know, it was an outside overtake. I think that was a pretty aggressive move. And honestly, I think that had it not been on the first lap and had he not been the one who was knocked out, he probably would have faced a penalty. Yeah, so you're saying they gave him – they're saying, hey, it's lap one. You're out of the race. What's a penalty? What's a a penalty going to do here? It doesn't matter. What are you going to do, fine him or something? Like he cares about like a 20K fine. It's like let's just move on. With our lives, you know, he's the one who suffered the bad outcome from it anyways and – you know, just you think a uh, unnecessarily risky move from Hamilton? Like, yeah, I just don't think he needed. I don't think you needed to make the overtake at that point in time. I don't think. You know, he said Alonso was in his blind spot, but at the end of the day, it's he had he was in the process of passing him. I, I don't him, know. Yeah. I don't know why he would think that Alonso would back out of that corner at that point. It, it definitely was pretty aggressive. It was definitely a mistake. Even if he just hangs around and doesn't make the full overtake, I I, I don't know. I I think that probably was that level of risk taking at that stage in the race is really not justified. Yeah, well, I mean, the Alpines were pretty fast, I thought, uh, in Spa, but Russell finished P4. Like, this is lap one. And well, there's going to be more opportunities down the line. And a P4 that was, uh, you know, well beyond Alonso's P5. You know what I mean? So, and and wasn't, and even earlier when Leclerc was ahead. 
you know, a full, uh, close to a full pit stop ahead of Alonso. Leclerc wasn't even close to yeah. Russell either. He was way in the distance. So in some sense, I think if Hamilton had just chilled out and waited it out, he would have overtaken him and probably finished well ahead of him. Yeah, Mercedes seemed to uh, not have a not a lot of confidence in their car this entire weekend. So maybe he was thinking, I got to make it stick now because I won't have a chance later. But he would have had a chance later. One guy who definitely thought it was uh, Lewis Hamilton's fault was Fernando Alonso. A classic radio message uh, from Alonso. Spicy. Yeah, what an idiot. Closing the door from the outside. I mean, we had a mega start, but this guy only knows how to drive and start in first. People were going crazy about this grade. And there was also... The scene where Fernando's coming around during the safety car, and you can see him shaking his finger at Lewis Hamilton. He's so involved in his little beef with Hamilton at that moment that he misses a message from his engineers. He's like, hold on a second. What were you saying? I was busy talking trash here. It seemed to me he had a little bit of regret post-race. Maybe the regret was just that it came across on the radio. But, I mean, these guys have beef from the past. Oh, for sure. They hated each other when they drove together. Do you think together. they still hate each other? I, I Kind of, yeah. yeah. I, I, like, I think that they don't. I don't know. Hamilton's a tough read on how much he holds on to these things. He On, on the surface, he's very good at suggesting that. It's very professional, and he respects everybody else. Fernando is less so. Fernando, I think, would be very pointed. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I, my my thought is is that they they had a very toxic relationship at McLaren that never got any better, and the fact that Hamilton has gone on to perform at a significantly higher level than Alonso in the subsequent years has only exacerbated uh-huh. that tension because Alonso is one of the most hyper competitive people on the planet. I mean, I know all of these guys are hyper competitive, but it's like like you he would you couldn't play a game of ping pong against him without him like sure. totally eyes rolling back in the head like wanting to you know beat you so badly. So it's a he I I think that he probably they probably hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny. Um they were asking Hamilton about Alonzo's radio message and all he said was I don't care and even that yeah. people were like does that mean he doesn't care because he doesn't care about Fernando or he doesn't care to get involved in the beef and furthering it uh, but yeah that was a that was a great moment but um, Lewis Hamilton can pass people I've seen him do it yeah I've seen him do not, it he should have waited true. on this one here not true to say that Lewis can only drive from first <laughs> not a, not actually yeah. in the moment no burn. a good a good burn like He's a had very a chambered for years no a very waiting, sick man. burn for sure and like a great one a great accusation to hurl at somebody however not true also <laughs> <laughs> that Lewis, was awesome though. Lewis is a fantastically complete yeah driver. it gave us a little spice on a <laughs> yeah. on a weekend yeah. that maybe didn't have a ton of spice yeah. that to me was kind of like the big stuff uh, from the Belgian Grand Prix but were there any other surprises or disappointments from the race I mean speaking of Alonso and Alpine you know I've been certainly beating the drum all season that I think that Alpine is clearly the better team despite how narrow they are in the point standings with McLaren this weekend seemed to is further evidence in the point I've been trying to make you know but both the McLarens finishing outside the points Mm -hmm. both the Alpines finishing up in the points um at pretty strong finishing spots you know I think they they looked really good they looked very competitive with with other not the top top cars but you know that I was I definitely was impressed with them really solid amazing stuff by Albon to salvage 
the point there. I mean, yeah. he had a great starting place, but also, you know, the Williams didn't look that strong in the race. I think he drove a really great race to get that championship point out of it. Yeah, I thought he was great. So, yeah, so he des- you know deserves credit, even though he slipped down the standings. The reality is it could have been much worse. It could have been much worse. Oppositely, I think kind of a, a, a huge mess of a weekend for Haas, probably, who, do- who I think didn't look that great in the race. And right now, feels a, has lost the mojo a little bit we've talked yeah. about the vibes in the and the vibes were strong and now the vibes are are less strong i think uh, and that, you totally know. agree they had a hot start to the season and they were not the competitive basically since the first maybe five races and we'll get to stuff with schumacher later but they were completely out of the mix totally uh, not even Belgium. a factor not even a factor yeah, so we didn't see hardly any mclarens like you're saying and i would add botas had a bummer of a birthday weekend out in q1 quali like we said earlier out in lap two of the race here so Whew, yeah. he had some downtime though. that's right i forgot that he i mean i oh my god you're right he's such a nov i he i forgot that he even went out he beached it uh, right, he i beached mean he got, hit, he got hit by latifi i forgot Classic. he beached it that's right that's right he did i like he said that right away didn't he say like i'm beached i'm beached <laughs> i'm beached happy was, birthday see yeah. you later they said yeah. i did see the fans were singing happy birthday to him that's and right. he was still happy about it so you know not he's the worst weekend, life, I talk guess. about vibes are good yeah, i mean like valtteri's vibes are very strong i i mean we probably i follow him on instagram and like during the you know the break he was doing like the steamboat gravel race in colorado which he's done in years past i think he did very well for like his category and age obviously out there with his girlfriend who's a professional cyclist um and like in general i feel like valtteri is just like no pressure like no like none of the complexity of being at Mercedes anymore, like just having a good time driving, driving speedy race cars and biking around and drinking coffee. And you said he was in Colorado. He was maybe another ass shot's going to be dropping soon. Oh, we might be. (laughs) be. Let the booty drop Valtteri. Yeah. I think Uh, he likes Colorado. I think he's a, I think, I don't know if they go out there, but he's in, he's he's in Colorado a lot. lot. Yeah. He's in Colorado. Very butt-friendly place. Uh, So that's basically the Belgian Grand Prix. One last thing to do, and that's give out the Full Beans Driver of the Weekend Award, where we just award a driver this made-up award because they're really giving it their all out there. Who you got, Graydon? I mean, for me, I think I haven't given it to him all year despite him dominating but oftentimes I just find somebody else I've been most impressive. But for me this week, it's got to be Max Verstappen. Yeah. I mean, he just was – he just spanked everybody. He was lapping the field quite literally. He was in a class one. of his own. Yeah. He just is in a class of his own, right? He just is – there is nobody else out there that looked anywhere close to his his level. So I just – other guys had good weekends. You know, we just mentioned a couple of them, but none of them at the level that Max is at. He went supernova out there. Yep. I'm giving – um. Half of my full beans to each of the Alpine drivers out there. Alonzo like finished P5. He's finished in the points nine straight times. Talking smack to Hamilton. Wagging his finger. Gave us a nice little bit of content out there. And then I thought Esteban Ocon actually had a really solid race as well. Started P16. Finished P7. Uh, and now Alpine's 
been able to take a nice little lead over McLaren for P4 in the Constructors' Championship. I also thought Ocon had maybe the move of the weekend when he had, like, a double overtake. That was wicked. Like, he yeah, set up on yeah, the outside, yeah, yeah. zoomed in, Vettel. I don't know who else it was. It was definitely Vettel. Uh, but it was cool. You don't see the double overtake often. With, you're right. It was Vettel where... That that was right, and that was a great. Gosh, who was the other guy who was with? Who was Vettel Joe, was battling maybe? with? Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, you're, I can't remember, but it was. You're right. That was a great moment. A great move by Ocon. Very solid stuff. I think in general, yeah, looked great. He's flying under the radar this season, but he's a he's had a really nice uh, nice bit of driving, and I guess he's gonna be one of the number one guys there going forward. So we shall see. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The good news, we had a better race in Spa this time around than we did last year. And Spa is back on the calendar for 2023. I know that was uh, potentially going to be leaving the calendar. It is just a one-year extension, though, because apparently negotiations went poorly for a South African Grand Prix, and the Chinese Grand Prix is still in the mix as well. But one of the great things about Spa is all the corner names. They have so many names for Ooh, corners. Great names. That they even have one called the no-name corner. I know. I the no-name corner is a great The no-name corner <laughs> is awesome. a great corner. Is it great? And there's, I think some people, I think liked, I believe, if I'm wrong, the Slipstream team will call me on this, but I believe some people call, try to call it the speaker's corner. Okay. Because when you're in the speaker's box, it's the, you can, that's the one, that's the only point you can see, you can see that corner. I think it's the only point they could see it. But like, I reject that. The Not no nearly corner. as good of a name as the no name corner. That's awesome. It's a great name. Don't try to, don't try to change it. Don't try to change it and keep going back to Spa, even if it wasn't the greatest race we've ever seen out there. That's a sexy-looking racetrack. Oh, The best-looking racetrack in the world. But, Graydon, you are a straight-up track sicko. And that's why you're going to hit us with your top 10 favorite corners in Formula One. Okay, here we go, folks. First of all, there is – I'm cheating a little bit. There's 11 because, first and foremost, I have an honorable mention. What about this corner? That's what what we call it in the No Dunks universe where, (laughs) you know, when you're doing a top 10, you cannot stop at 10. You've got to go – to 11 to 15. <laughs> yeah. And the honorable mentions are usually called, what about this guy? Who's the number okay, 17th okay. all-star yeah. pick? What about this guy? Yep. What this about is, this corner? What about this corner? Yeah. Peraltada in Mexico City. This is historically the corner that used to be there. It was a long right-hander that was taken at a borderline flat-out pace. It was one of the most intense corners on the F1 calendar. I believe it was part of the racetrack up through 2014, one year before they brought 
F1 back to Mexico City. Now this section is the section that you see them go through when they go through the big stadium. Okay. And they kind of snake through there. So they have that small snake through area. And, I, and But they've replaced – that is what replaced this section of the course, which is super fun for the fans and is great on TV and I, I think is a cool addition to it. My only problem is, is that it cost them what was probably the best moment on the track in terms of pure racing, which was Peraltada. Why is this intense? It just is the pay. It's the speed. The, it, the speed of it here. You're coming in. Uh, it, you actually used to, I think, came out. You, I think you came in at a pretty high speed, but then you didn't really need to let up any sort of corner where you're just borderline on the edge. But you're, you know, you're still in a very, very high gear, and you're coming all the way around. The G forces you're going to experience are super intense. Um, the ability to hold on to the car at the very, very um, in in these weird low downforce setups that you have in Mexico City because of the elevation, things like that. It's it's a it's weird. It's it's a weird track for a lot of weird elevation reasons, and and this just made a super intense, super challenging moment on it for the drivers historically. All right, well, let's move on okay. to the official part of the, number ten. Now 10 we're down numbers. to the true top ten here. The first one. Turn one at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. This is uh, recently renamed Big Red after Red McCombs, who was an investor in the course mm. and was a former owner of the San Antonio Spurs, uh, briefly owned the Denver Nuggets, Homer. and also owned the Minnesota Vikings at one point as well. So uh, kind of a uh, a big shot in terms of American sports, but uh, helped bring the track to life. And then this is a, a huge elevation game, 133-foot climb up to the uh, up to the top there. This is actually the first thing I ever saw at my first ever race. I walked out, uh, you know, into the main grandstand there during like I believe what was an F3 supporting race, and looked over and they had just lined up and saw them kind of take off up the hill and thought, my gosh, this is just like so cool. And I think this moment when we get a TV shot, something along these lines when they, you know, they always show it from the front so you can see the front too, but then when they kind of invert the camera 180 degrees and you see everybody sweep up the hill, I just think this is a great TV moment in the form, in the F1 calendar. I so. mean, it looks wild. It looks like Inception or like, a, a, <laughs> like the world is right. Like, I mean, yeah. that looks like that looks like too much elevation change. You said 133 feet. That's 10 stories, man. Yeah. So it's a That's huge crazy. climb. Very, very fast. Uh, and it's super cool. I, I love it. Very cool. OK, number nine. The tunnel in Monaco. This is a favorite of mine. It, to be frank, this is far and away. This is not Monaco's you know, most technical corner you know it's there's tons of honestly probably <laughs> there's tons of really famous parts of monaco yeah. almost every single part of the monaco track is iconic in its own way part of me thought about including tabac part of me thought about including uh poitier but in this instance i just love it because especially on like rainy monaco weekends like you have this last one you sweep out of the rain into the tunnel it's just like it's super it's just super cool them like racing yeah. through this tunnel alongside the sea the sound the the sound of the tunnel is cool to me the way the engine noise is like ricocheting off the walls i love it and also i wanted to shout out Poitiers, which I just mentioned, which is turn eight, immediately before this, this is turn nine, you know, quote unquote turn nine, because it's it's borderline like a long, slightly curved straight, but uh -huh. is is the one where we saw signs and Perez collide this year, turn eight, right before the tunnel, right. which itself is a very challenging corner and kind of begins this section. So I love, uh, I know, I always love that part. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, this, to me, seems like it's going to be too low on the list, to be quite yeah, honest. It yeah, looks yeah. so cool when they're zooming through, and like you're saying, um, with it being a covered tunnel, like, if it's raining, there's such a difference in in the track being dry to wet right there. Even if it's not raining and it's just sunny, there's such a different ch- different change in the darkness to the lightness. I think it's such a wild thing, and it looks the most, like, of all of these various, like, city course things... It feels the most city to me to be driving through a tunnel. It's true. It has it's 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 a very like video game feel. Exactly. Moment. It's a very video game feel moment, which F one doesn't have tons of. Of course, like actual F one video games. But I'm talking about the the California rushes of the world or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Good one. Okay. Number eight, turn eight in Baku, the castle section. This is actually technically turn eight and nine. It is the narrowest point on the F1 calendar, a mere 24.9 feet wide. Um, And subsequently, no one has ever gone through this section side by side. Um, They have uh, technically... Two cars could fit through it, but no one has ever been gutsy enough to try and overtake here. And for good reason, uh, it is considered incredibly difficult to manage. It is uh, really tough to thread the needle at the speeds they do it. It's just visually very, very cool. You're yeah. talking about this like centuries-old castle that you're zooming past. And this is actually, interestingly enough, a kind of a fabricated part of it. This is actually cobblestone streets here that they've built uh, tarmac up over for every race huh. weekend. Um, so it's not what the actual street level looks like here. But super cool moment. I always think this is like a great shot on TV where oh, you yeah. see people kind of like zipping up through it, like a quick right then left and kind of flying through. It's 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 awesome. A yeah, favorite. this one to me, when you see cars just zooming through it is when you're like, these guys are incredible to be going that fast, navigating something so back and forth and so narrow there are a lot of just like taps of the wheels i feel like on that on that right barrier that ends up in a crash and i think there's like a runoff just to the right of that that you that i feel like is used all of the time when they're racing here it is this in general i actually am a bit of a softy for the baku track i think it actually makes for fun races and like weird stuff I, i i think it's a little bit underrated actually as a as a course. Okay, I do like that one. So maybe the Monaco Tunnel was in the right spot. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so number seven turns 12 and 13 at the Canadian Grand Prix. Bienvenue au Quebec. Bienvenue <laughs> to the Wall of Champions, the famously titled Wall of Champions here. Famously uh, called that because in 1999, F1 champions Damon Hill, Jacques Villeneuve, and Michael Schumacher all exited the race by hitting it. Same coming race. Out of the, same race. All former <laughs> F1 champions who all ran into the same wall um, coming out of this chicane towards the end of it. Um, it's a it's a great moment uh, in F1. Great because it's taken a lot of great racers out of it, but also because it is actually the site of some awesome late breaking and some awesome overtaking. We saw that in this year's mm-hmm. uh, Grand Prix where you see people fly into the very end of that. You know, the first chunk of the chicane and and break real late and try to make for a daring overpass and then come out and there's a nice little sprint down into a drs section it's a great moment on the on the calendar and i think always uh makes is like a you know the end of the lap is coming so for people who are fighting especially if you're in a very tight fight towards the end of a race you know you it's it's a really decisive moment uh and i love it what's so tricky about it that it would send so many people into the wall i think it's because the the chicane it's you can people are trying to cut it cut the corner and you're trying they're trying to come out of it 
with as much speed as possible. Like any corner, you're trying to right. exit the corner with as much speed as possible. So I think what they're doing is they're finding themselves like kind of whipping around as they come to the left and the car is sliding. If they lose the ba- if you lose the back end even the teensiest bit, you're going to hit the you're wall. You're done. It's definitely one of those where you're even when you nail it you're basically kissing the wall. You're sure. right up against the edge because you've used as much of the track to like slingshot yourself into the subsequent straightaway. So it's it, they're just taking always a lot of risk and uh, people get it wrong by an inch and that was, that was too much to have gotten it wrong by. All so. right, nice one. Okay, next up, 130R in Suzuka. We haven't been to Suzuka in a couple of years, so I feel like people have forgotten about what a great racetrack this is. It's 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 one of my favorites, and certainly like Japan is like one of the great kind of racing nations out there. But this is the iconic corner of this track. They reprofiled it in 2003, so it's not quite as intense as it used to be, but it's still a super high-speed corner, um, which is just kind of one of the great parts about it you kind of come out of uh, a section i believe it's called spoon is the section you come out of and then you and then you head into 130r and you just gain tons of speed heading down towards the end of this uh the end of the course this is towards the back end of suzuka which is always a little confusing because you have the fig it's the only figure eight course you see the course mm-hmm. going under it here it's the only figure eight on the calendar where the cars go beneath other cars uh at a different point on the track so it's just i think this is just one of those ones that makes the cut because for the drivers it's a favorite it's a very technical very high speed corner where to really nail it you carry tons of speed into the subsequent corners i mean into the subsequent straightaway and for that reason alone like the drivers love it they all speak really highly of it it's kind of famous among the drivers themselves even if maybe it doesn't have the majesty or the allure of some of these other shots that you see where they just look so cool it's it's kind of a true driver's corner if you know you know if you know you know good one okay Number five, this is a true fan favorite here, Turn 11 at Monza, better known as Parabolica. Um, This is a super high-speed corner, of course, you know, one of the fastest on the calendar and one of the fastest courses on the calendar known as the Temple of Speed. Mm. Uh, It's the last year. You you can see it's it's a long right-hander. They come down the straight here and they head out uh, towards the final – towards the line there they race towards a quick line on the backside over there um you've seen a lot of people put it into the law into the wall on the far side this used to be a truly wild corner because back in the day it was an oval and it, it had a gradient to it there's a hmm. there's the historical track is actually on the outside of it it's like a banked a banked track sorry it's still an oval but what i meant is there's banking along sure. it like an american style oval. okay you know there was and um, you know so people used to kind of get up on the oval and take it at these incredibly intense speeds they still do but um just one of the great moments on the calendar and certainly like the iconic shot of what is one of the iconic courses and it makes you feel good about taking math in high school, too, because you're like, you it. finally, a reason to learn what a parabola is, because they named a turn after it. And guess what? It looks like a parabola. It looks like Great a parabola. stuff. Okay. Next up here, number four, the swimming pool complex. This is really turns 13, 14, 15, and 16. So I'm including a couple in here. <laughs> sure. um, the one that, you know, but this is a great shot. It used to be a long straightaway run down to Raskas, which is at the end of this. 
But uh, when they added in the actual pool uh, here, um, they had to make it into a little double chicane. Um, you know, the first part of which is known as the Louis Chiron chicane. And that's what we're looking at here. But on the back end of it is also that famous part where during qualifying, you're always seeing guys cutting it super close and you're uh -huh. seeing the tires like kiss the, you know, just kiss the edge yeah. of like the great, you know, of the barrier. That's in this moment here. So certainly always features very uh, heavily in the most important qualifying of the year. Um, just a part where, you know, I, I like this one. Okay, amidst Monaco was tough because there's so many moments in Monaco that you could pull out as saying this is an incredible turn. I like this one the most. The reason I like the swimming pool complex is because it is actually one of the few moments where you see the truly daring, truly nutso actually go for a pass in today's racing, which is very hard to pull off and infrequently do they actually make it work. But you do see that sometimes here, but also in qualifying and even in the race itself, this is a moment where time is really won and lost. This is a section here that can make or break your quality lap because the, the, there's so many ways to approach it and like this can be the difference maker in terms of whole, you know, fractions of a second. So I, I just think it's great. I think it's a really important part of the lap, uh, a really challenging part to take at a very high level and very beautiful being with the pool and the boats. And it looks cool and yards. it's actually crucial to the race. It looks cool and it's crucial. A nice combination. Yeah. No wonder it ranks so high. Uh, does anybody ever get in the pool? I don't think that's the pool they that like Ricardo jumped. No, in, no, no, no. That's not the pool. That's that a Ricardo. separate pool. That's a separate pool. I think that's a that's like a more of like a party pool. Party pool. I, I think that the the pool is the. I, I guess it's the. I mean, I want to say Rainier, but it, that sounds like Mount Rainier in like in like, <laughs> in like I guess Ronier or something Ranier. like the third nautical stadium. It's I think it's like a like their Olympic training center okay. style thing, but it's outdoors. So is that? I don't know. You, but they've got like a. Looks like a five and ten meter board, like a diving. Yeah, you're right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you're right. But I think it's meant to be like a like a performance center, not like a party pool. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, which okay. there are plenty of the latter in Monaco. <laughs> nice, but, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw skeets at some of the party pools in yeah, Monaco yeah, recently. Yeah, actually. You know that is. yeah. I should. Oh, we should see if they. I should get him to take a little drive. See how fast he could take that section. Do a sea ball off that platform. <laughs> okay. Number three. Now we're getting to the good stuff here. The Senna S's in Interlagos. This is such an awesome moment on the F1 calendar. It's just after the main straight uh, where there's that uh, they come dipping down into this section and, you know, zipping through here. Um, there's a big elevation change downward off of the main straight here into these Senna S's. You oftentimes see people running very closely here. You see some very uh, people come to contact here. Very famously, Alex Albon and Lewis Hamilton yep. come to contact through this section. A lot of other people here. This is also a cool one because it's uh, the pit lane exit is over to the left and kind of mimics it. You can kind of see people walking on the pit lane exit in right. this shot. And they end up kind of coming past this entire section and re-entering on the Reda Aposta, which is the straightaway just beyond this where there's a DRS section. The DRS detection zone is actually in the Senate S's right here. Um, so it's it's this cool moment. It's a great moment on TV where oftentimes you see the cars in the pit lane. They're both snaking through, yeah. oftentimes racing to try to get to that pit lane exit point and hopefully, you know, stay ahead of someone who's who's 
staking through the S's themselves, but a really technical moment, a moment that for a driver in the lead is really critical to nail because you are coming up on a detection zone ahead of you. And if you can get a great exit out of these corners, it makes it much more defensible there. Um, it's, it's not where you see all the overtaking happen, although you have, but it is oftentimes the moment that sets up the great overtakes. And just in general, I think, again, this is one where for the drivers, they enjoy what a technical section it is. And, um, you know, kind of just a start to what is one of my favorite laps in the F1 calendar. Were they calling this the Senna S's while he was racing, or is this after he passed? I, that's a great question, actually. I do not know. I feel like it's more recent than that, but I, I would have to double up. It's not the only place where they call it the Senna S's. Okay. But I believe it's the most famous one because he is Brazilian sure. and whatever. So, All right. you know, so I believe it's the most famous instance of referring to the Senna S's. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, number two, Maggots and Beckets mm. in uh, in Silverstone. This is, you're coming into Maggots and Beckets. You've just come out of Cop's Corner, which is one of the most famous and fastest corners on the F1 calendar, famously where Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen came together um, last year, uh, sending Max into the wall. And then you come into what is an incredibly technical section here again as you snake through this little s section carrying a lot of speed um these got their names because uh of nearby maggots moor and then the medieval chapel of saint thomas a beckett kind of stood at at this place before it was driven um they enter the corner at about 186 miles per hour but then they're coming out at around 112 miles per hour so they lose a lot of speed into it but that's kind of entirely the point it's like can you how how little speed can you lose right how much you know can you manage this it's also just right up there at the at the very top of the calendar for like weird great names oh yeah if you're talking about names it's got a good name and i'm giving it bonus points for a good name maggots and beckett <laughs> gets bonus points for its good name yeah i think that's fair because i was looking up the picture beforehand and i think i typed it in M-A-G-A-T-E-S because I was like, there's no way it's spelled like maggots. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> But guess spe- what? It's spelled like maggots. <laughs> yeah. And then this is where you exit also famous. You oftentimes hear it as referred to maggots, Beckett's, and Chapel because okay. you head right into the into Chapel right after this. Silverstone was hard because there are like every corner has a, a good name. Every corner is iconic in its own right. right? It's a bit like Monaco where I, I could have easily done a list editing of top 10 corners in F1 and it had three or four Silverstone corners on. I mean, Cops almost made it as well. Stowe is an incredibly famous corner. So multiple on there that I seriously considered including. But I decided to mix it up a little bit. Only one of them named after maggots, though. So. Only one after named after old that was maggots number two? his more. That was number two, leaving us with number one, unsurprisingly, Eau Rouge and Radion. My favorite moment of the F1 calendar, my favorite kind of TV shot on the F1 calendar is you see people come out of La Source, you know, hit that hard right and then just roar up the hill. There's a quick down and then an up again as they gain, you know, over 100 feet in elevation as they head up towards the Kemmel Strait, named after the red clay that colors the, actually the iron in the earth that colors the creek that, run right, that runs right beneath this section, you noted that one time earlier. This, yeah, I, I, di- I didn't know that off the top of my head, but Trey did. But there was, I and and uh, just one of the great moments on the F1 calendar, like uh, 
you know, you've seen, I don't know, this one almost kind of speaks for itself. It's, it's, they talk about it. It's got that granddaddy of them all kind of way where people just kind of love the Rose Bowl. Yeah. People love Eau Rouge. They, they love all the people who've raced here. They love what it, you know, what it symbolizes about the sport. And it's like glory days. Um, so yeah, just a great, a great moment. Not probably your, your greatest overtaking moment on the track although it oftentimes sets up a great overtaking moment on the Kemmel straight just behind it so uh a favorite of mine for sure people are saying can't be mad at that number one pick what a great list i'm not i will admit this is a bit like somebody being like let's talk about the the best basketball players of all time and that's why my number one is michael jordan or something it's like if you look up if you go online and type in best f1 corners like oh rouge is going to be at the top of a lot of lists but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Those people aren't wrong. It's awesome. It's one of my favorites. It ain't broke, so they're not trying to fix it, which is why we'll be back at Spa again next year to see that incredible corner. I think, uh, like, the pictures of that one and I think it was Circuit of the Americas, which yeah. had the huge the huge, climb the huge elevation as well. Sometimes the broadcast camera doesn't necessarily give you the full picture of things just because of where the cameras are situated. But, like, seeing the elevation changes to that – kind of gives you a little bit more perspective as well that like they're not just going side to side very fast they're going up and down as well yeah and i so the one thing i'll say okay so i mix it up a bit some of them were like this is just iconic and cool some of them these are very technically challenging some of them they're just they're just very beautiful or whatever but for me i actually do think that latter category even though you know maggots and beckett's is not all that like handsome of a corner that's more about you know how technically challenging it is and how much drivers love it for me it's like oh rouge is just my favorite moment of the year on television. And that's what I love about Spa. Like, my buddy Ryan texted me on Saturday morning, I think when they did a big pan out, and they showed, like, an overhead shot of the whole Ardennes area. And it's, it's so beautiful. It's like, it's a cool, it's cool when they race in cool places. Totally. Because it's a spectacle, and it's kind of a, a TV product, and it makes it great in a certain way. So. Yeah, and it's kind of strange to me to, to hear that some of the problems that, F1 has with the track is that there aren't like more grandstands and more spectator yeah. places because once you have that stuff in, you're losing the you're very, losing. the beautiful the and the the natural beauty of the track. Totally, that is that is their problem with it, right? Is that there's actually not that many places yeah. to go comparatively. Got all these beautiful spot. trees. Yeah, totally, right? Which is like and that, but that's what makes it so special. It's what makes it so cool for TV, and it's what makes it. My understanding is, I've never been. I would love to go, but cool to attend is like it's a it's a wild place to go and watch a race. A well, year. it's only on the calendar for one more year so, as of now, so I well, guess we got to go. Yeah, that means we're going, my friends. Those are Graydon's top ten corners in Formula One. Let us know if you agree, disagree, what you'd add what you'd take off. Leave it down in the comments, tweet at us, whatever. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, 
and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Let's move on, talk a little bit about some news. Got some big news yesterday, I would say. This is from autosport.com. Mick Schumacher, the Haas driver, his original Ferrari Driver Academy contract is coming to a natural end at the end of this Formula One season, which means Mick will be a free agent heading into the 2023 season. It's rumored that Antonio Giovinazzi will get the Haas seat alongside Kevin Magnussen. There's some rumors that Schumacher could be heading to Alpine or to Williams. Alpha Tauri might have an open seat. Do you think Mick Schumacher will have a seat in Formula One next year? I I'm I think no. No. I don't know, man. I mean, none of those seats that you just said feel all that plausible to me. I okay, let's just run through them. If you're so he's out at Haas. Pretty out much. at Haas. Out at Haas. Alpine, I don't see why they do that. I think you've they I mean I guess if they come up dry at a bunch of other spots, you know, maybe you roll the dice on a guy who performs so well in an F2 setting and see what he can really do in a slightly better car than Haas has given him for most of his career. Um so I mean I, I guess there's a chance there. Williams I, I don't know what sort of you know what sort of money the Schumacher family is prepared to put into the car, but I presume they're looking at somebody where, you know, they're not I'll, I'll just say this is with the money situation is is that Ferrari was partly paying Schumacher's way right as part mm-hmm. of their as part of like their driver academy they were trying to make sure that he was getting reps at the F1 level if they're if they're letting him go it just doesn't bode well to me to think that that it's it says to me a certain amount of they they have a certain ceiling on what they think he can achieve and it's I understand it's also because they've got two guys locked up for a yeah. while now but if but if they wanted to keep pushing Schumacher, keep him in a seat, you know, keep him at Alpha or keep him somewhere, I think they would. So it definitely feels like this is a – I'm not saying it's a done deal, but this is a this is a bad situation for Mick. Yeah, I, I was uh, – yeah. I mean, he hasn't distinguished himself at all at Haas. Last season was, you know, basically a wash. His rookie season and the car was terrible. This year they had a little bit of a start – but he hasn't really performed, and he's getting outdriven, no doubt, by Kevin Magnuson, who was out of the game for a, a season. But Antonio Giovinazzi, like, I mean— That was a bit that... of an oddball. Yeah, I mean, Giovinazzi remains involved in the Ferrari organization, right? He's a reserve driver there. I think he has looked okay in Formula E, as best I know. Um, and I think people always felt fine about him. He definitely feels like uh, an odd one. You know, a lot—one thing you always have to remember with Haas is that, you know, they, they run—they're kind of— on the razor's edge when it comes to the dollars and the cents of everything and the finances. So is Giovinazzi, is some, but is there some sort of sponsorship deal, some sort of Ferrari money that's coming in to keep their reserve driver fresh or something like that? I don't know. Is there some other financial factor? Oftentimes at Haas, and we saw this, you know, uh, in prior years as well, oftentimes it's not just about the driver himself, right? There's other, there's other things going on there. So tough, tough to say. I don't feel great about, mixed situation 
So what do you think? Maybe he'll be a reserve driver somewhere? Because, I mean, the dude's a huge name in the sport. I would obviously. definitely think that he he could be. I definitely think he could be a reserve driver. That's funny. I would have said it Ferrari, but sure. I, I don't know if he – I wonder whether he would want to be if they're, if they're kind of kicking him out of the driver academy or, like, choosing not to renew. I don't know. It's definitely it's – t- it's tough to say for sure. He has the talent, I think. I mean, he certainly seems as good as some of the guys who are reserve drivers. Yeah. So, I, you know. It's well, tough to say. Silly season continues because you tipped me off to this one earlier today. Colton Herta might be going to Alpha Tauri, though there are complications around his super license. Yes. It Tell is, me about that. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So you need enough super license points. It's not like points on your license when you speed demons out there getting tickets for, you know, you know, changing lanes without your signal on or whatever it is you guys do. It's oh, like they, they don't give tickets for that in Atlanta. Okay. No. <laughs> they definitely don't. They give they you a ticket if you use your turn they signal. They don't give you tickets for anything right. in Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You can get away with some <laughs> yeah, wild yeah. stuff out there. You actually get extra points if yeah. you speed through a red light here. Yeah, exactly. I would uh, so you need 40 super license points to compete at a Formula One level. So, you know, for example, winning the F2 championship earns you automatically enough points to compete at Formula One. Uh, other series that earn points include Formula Three, the W Series, and IndyCar, where Colton Herta races. However, Colton Herta has not in his career technically earned enough points to compete. He does not have 40 points in his uh, most recent few seasons. Uh, there's also some time constraints here. There's a bunch of other details around this, which are like a hot mess. Like, for example, there's force majeure clauses that could come into it because of the because of the pandemic. And are there exceptions where there's years that he mm-hmm. raced in things where, you know, there's one year where I think uh, he raced in a series and he got eight or like he did really well but there was only eight entries in the series so it actually doesn't qualify for FIA points but could they say well the only reason there was eight people or eight entrants like eight teams in the series is because of the pandemic or things like that right there's all these things and and they can get points they can get individual points by running him in practice sessions or other stuff like that there's all these like levers they have to pull pull and arguments they're going to make to say Colton Herta should be allowed to go. And it is up to the FIA's discretion, kind of probably at the end of the day, they probably can find some loophole to do it. But using that loophole is complicated and controversial among the other teams because the other teams are investing tons of dollars and energy in getting their people up through the F3, F2 pipeline so they have enough super license points to compete. So at the end of the day, if you're like, you just find some, you know, backdoor in for this other guy, it... I think it frustrates them to think, well, why am I wasting all this money grooming these guys at these lower levels when, you know, you've just you've just given a free pass to this other guy. So I don't know. It's politically complicated for them to do it, but it seems as if there's genuine interest in Colton Herter driving for Alpha Tauri next year, which would probably mean, as I, I guess I've suggested in the past and I've always kind of thought was a possibility that that Alpine seat would be filled by Pierre Gasly. I love it. It's probably what that means. Yeah, it definitely feels like he's stuck at Alpha Tauri, even basically Helmet Marco. Red Bull advisor's like, there ain't another drive that's better for him. But that was before Alonso decided to make his move. That was before uh, McLaren decided to make their move with um, 
with Ricardo and Piastri yeah. as well. So it does seem at the very least that we'll see Colton Herta making the jump from the United States to Formula One at some point, which is cool. And like you're saying, between this little bit of news and the fact that like it just kind of slipped in there with Mick Schumacher that Alpha Tauri could be an option as well, it feels like Gasly might be on the move, which would be awesome to see him have a chance in a little bit better car than what he is right now. So yeah. I would be excited if he ends up at Alpine. It'd be interesting. The one thing I hadn't thought about, the Alpha Tauri thing you mentioned, Mick being you know rumored to go there, it's, you know, is he more likely to end up at like a Williams or an Alpha Tauri? I don't know. It's complicated. But it, one thing that I do think is you could see two Alpha Tauri seats open, right? Because I don't think Yuki's a sure thing to stay sure. either. So there, that whole team could be changing. So in that sense, there's, there's definitely... A, the grid is a lot more dynamic. The 2023 grid is a lot more dynamic than I think we all thought it would be a month and a half ago or something yep. like that. Yeah, uh, Sebastian Vettel's retirement really set things off uh, for really silly did. season this time around. The only other piece of news I got here is that Audi is going to be joining Formula One for the 2026 season. Basically, they're going to be replacing Alfa Romeo as the title sponsor for Sauber. When Formula One switches to synthetic fuels, do you care at all? I do care. Okay. I like it. Nice. I'm Why? into it. Okay. First of all, talking trash to Mercedes. Yeah, because building uh, cars in Germany. I d- first of all, Audi actually has a great motorsports history. They've they're one of the iconic Le Mans teams. They are one of, if not, you know, the iconic uh, rally car, you know rally racing team. Uh, competed in the Dakar. They've done tons of stuff. I think, you know, in general, it's a it's a cool motorsports history. It's nice to have them participating in F1 as like one of the marquee global car brands. I think the, my understanding is their intention is to build an engine and to be an engine provider, which I actually think more diversity of options there is good. I think it's generally, it's a good sign for the sport when lots of people see it as being, you know, a place that they want to uh, engineer around and push technological advancement in. And I think this, it's, the other thing that I, I love about it is Audi's holdout was primarily an ecological concern. It was basically, you know, we have certain standards that we're shifting the entire organization to in terms of environmental impact and, you know, how our cars affect that. And we're not going to invest in a platform for innovation or kind of a marketing opportunity that isn't aligned with those values and isn't in, in like a real material way, helping us push those programs forward. So the move to synthetic fuels and the way that the regs around the engine are going to change, them saying, okay, this checks our boxes, we're in, to me is great because it's like a sign that F1 is, you know, succumb to that pressure in, in a good way. Like they took it seriously. They they want to do better there. And, you know, that – and so I think it's great. Um, I just think it's in general, if F1 wants to be the marquee – you know, motorsport, you know, series on the planet, it, you know, to have more of the, the top brands on the planet involved is, is a good thing, generally. Yep, definitely. And, uh, yeah, I think their their motto right now is like uh, carbon neutral by 2030, right? And that right. kind of aligns with this. If uh, Audi's going to be hopping in uh, to make engines by 2026, they're obviously still pointing that way. I was looking forward to it maybe being another team, though. I so like an I mean, Audi team. I don't know if they. Would I think be it. Enough. I think it will be. They're gonna. I think they're gonna take over the Sauber relation. And that's not a done deal, but it looks like they are gonna. Because it's Al- Alfa Romeo is like the former Sauber. They are the sure. window dressing for Sauber. I think they're gonna become. I. It's there's, at least I've read that they're gonna become like kind of the external shell of the Sauber team. Um, whereas right, uh, but I'm saying I'm saying more like I thought there would be eleven teams instead of oh 10 teams. yeah, which. 
has been discussed. It's not there's no there's no rule that there's only got to be 10 teams right. or that you can't have more than this and other people have entrance and yeah, I I'm a little disappointed at that too. You see the same thing with Porsche coming mm-hmm. in how, you know, Porsche is is likely partnering with Red Bull. Everybody is saying there how it's not a true done deal, but it's likely to be Red Bull Porsche come a few years from now. But again, that's not a new entrant. Uh, It's not a 21st and 22nd car on the grid, which would be cool, which would be better. I think you're right. So So that's the news. Let's talk about the previews. You like that? A little bit of a segue there. We got the second leg of our triple header kicks off Friday in the Netherlands. Let's take a quick look at the standings before heading to Circuit Zonfort. Uh, the big news in the driver's standings, I suppose, is that Sergio Perez is now P2 behind Max Verstappen. He leapfrogged Charles Leclerc after uh, the Grand Prix there at Spa. Sainz is in P4. He's followed by Russell, Hamilton, Norris, Ocon, Alonso, and Botas. On the team standings, it's a big-time blowout. Red Bull, 475 points in first place. They're leading Ferrari now. Ferrari, 357 points, so nearly a 120-point gap between those two. The race for second, pretty spicy right now. Ferrari, 357 points. Mercedes, 316. Those are your top three teams. They're followed by Alpine, who has a 20-point lead now over McLaren after both Alpines finished in the points in Belgium. Uh, P6 goes to Alfa Romeo. They're followed by Haas, Alfa Tauri, Aston Martin, and Williams now with four points on the season after Aston Martin uh, picked one. Or uh, Aston Martin. What am I talking about? After Alex Albon. (laughs) Alex Albon, not Aston Martin, picked up a point. Uh, So we're headed to the Netherlands this weekend. They raced there last season for the first time in 36 years. Last year's podium went Verstappen, Hamilton, and Botas. Verstappen won the race, though just like he did in Belgium this week by 20 seconds. There's a lot of bumps at Circuit Zanford, a lot of humps. There's a cool banked turn. The drivers seem to like it. But is this just going to be another Red Bull blowout? I I don't know. It definitely feels like how twisty and turny this course is. It's probably slightly m- more amenable to the, the Ferrari setup. Uh, this would have been a course where I would say, okay, Ferrari can – you know, can bounce back here. But it, it, part of me wonders whether it, how good Red Bull looked. You got to wonder if at a certain point they're starting to bring advancements that, you know, updates to the car where it, it's kind of these track by track differences are increasingly insubstantial. So I don't know. I definitely think there's reason to believe that it'll be more competitive than Belgium, which was tailor made for what right. Red Bull does. This is less so. Um, but at this point, it's like Max is is firing on all cylinders and Red Bull is operating with such confidence that they have to be the favorite going into every single race for the rest of the year, no matter what the course conditions are, in my opinion. Well, and it's a home race for Verstappen, so you know the orange flares are going to be out like crazy. I think, And I think it does motivate him. I mean, it's hard to say that because I think he's plenty motivated and locked in every weekend. I don't think he struggles with motivation or something, but I think these big crowds and the reality of being at home is a difference maker for him in terms of you know just how much he competes i think you're right and i think he's gonna win by at least 15 seconds so you know how it is well i'll we'll have to see my friends i guess we will have to see and talk about it next week we'll have to see i think we're on wednesday again next week we are gonna be on wednesday because we got a got labor day here in the united states on monday so things are moved around we will be wednesday that's what september 7th jd 
September 7th. I think yeah, we're going to go at 1 p.m. East. Sure. Yeah. I, I know. I know. Knows. One week <laughs> ahead. One week ahead is too far to look. I 100 percent agree. Know what day it is? It's good. It's yeah. It's seventh. Yeah. 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 Once September it's on 7th. the next page of the calendar, it's tough to say. <laughs> tough to say out there. Yep. Let's do some plugs around here. Follow Graydon at Mr. Gordian. I have some, I guess, apparently some mediocre tweets. Most weeks they're really good. Most weeks I got something I can work with here. He'll be talking about listening to bussin' songs at sus times of the year. But I don't know. I guess, I guess. We're heading into a bussin' time in the year. And we're heading into a bussin' time of year. We really are. You can start listening to your sus songs now. (laughs) (laughs) But follow Graydon. He's usually good at tweeting, even if he had a down week. We all do sometimes. Follow No Dunks at No Dunks Inc. That's where you'll get all your updates for Formula One, baseball. We did a baseball show earlier today uh, talking with Kelly Dwyer, Tass, and I did. Uh, Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. I think that's all the social medias we have. That's a lot of them. Yeah, that's a lot of them out there. <laughs> yeah, follow us on Weibo. There's probably a no dunk sink. Yeah. Who knows? You can subscribe to the Athletic at theathletic.com/slash no dunks. Only a dollar a month for the next six months. A good deal. We've got uh, is this good with Tass, Lee, Matteo, and JD coming up on the No Dunks feed tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern. You got anything else you want to plug? No, that's that's about it for me. I'll try. If you guys follow me, I'll try better this week. I'll try harder with the tweets. I think Graydon's going to have a semi-viral tweet this week. Oh, you, th- you think so? I mean, nothing's... You're nothing's probably going to have a tough so- time ever topping the Drake tweet. Well, yeah, that was big. I mean, that was a legendary tweet. It was big. But yeah, I still think you can get one Thanks. with over 1,000 likes. Wow, okay. That's the, okay. Goal. That's wow. the goal for the okay. week. Okay. We're giving Good Graydon challenge. a tweet with 1,000 likes. Follow him at Mr. Gordy and follow No Dunks Thanks, at No Dunks INC Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, be first or be last. Wait, no. Be fast or be last. <laughs> you can, if you're not first, you can finish many other positions. <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if you're not first, there's dozens of other places yeah, there you are could 19 be. 19 other places. Yeah. <laughs>